0: I'd like to share with you some very personal experiences of our own, mainly one outstanding one. We claim the promise of Luke eleven thirteen. We make it a practice to claim that promise in our heart, asking, believing, and claiming before every missionary visit, before every sermon, before every study, because we have learned to love the Holy Spirit for what he does. We claim the promise of 1 John 5:16. If any man see his brother sin a sin that's not unto death, he may ask and God will give him life. And we ask God to give this person life. The person may have wandered far from the Lord, but we say, Lord, we're asking you to do because we need and he needs life. We're believing it, Lord, because this is our way of telling you that we trust you to do it. You see, when we ask, believe, and claim, it's a philosophy of prayer. Asking is virtually saying to the Lord, we need you to do it. We can't do it. When we say we believe, we're saying, Lord, we trust you to keep your word. And when we say we claim or thank you we've received, we're saying, Lord, our eyes are looking like a person at dark as looking is looking out at the horizon for the rising sun, we're looking we're expectant, expectantly looking for the answer to the prayer we believe to such, such an extent that we know god is doing we know he is hearing we know he's answering so as we ask as we believe we claim this soul to be converted to him now wherever we've traveled in many cases a real problem confronts many of our listeners it is a question of of aren't you kind of forcing this backslider not to be lost you're asking you're believing you're reaching right up and claiming his his salvation doesn't his will play a part his will play play, plays a very large part friends but as i prayed about this many years ago and i had learned that my teacher, my favorite author, had said, for any promise, any gift that God has promised, I may ask. Then I'm to believe, and then I'm to thank God that I've received. I said, when I've received such instruction as that from the Bible, for there are all Bible texts to prove it, there must be something beyond the, uh, the objection that's in people's hearts. And as I prayed and studied, I found this. When you pray for a backslider, that this backslider will be converted anew, you are not praying against the backslider's will. You aren't? No. And the Holy Spirit impressed me with this fact. Of the 50 years now that I've, 53 years that I've been in the ministry, I have yet to see the first backslider come to me and say, Pastor Kuhn, I... I can hardly wait to get into hellfire. I just long for the lake of fire. I long to be on the outside of the city of God. No backslider ever has said that. Backsliders do not choose to be lost. Not consciously. They choose to be happy. And the devil gets them to look into our countenances. And too many times they don't see too much happiness, too much assurance in the faces of professed Christians. And they say, well, my, I don't want to be that kind of a Christian. And then they tune on to TV. And they see these wonderful artists smiling. They appear to be so happy, so pleasant. And they say, my, I want to be happy like they are. They don't know that many of these artists can hardly wait to commit suicide themselves. And so thus they are lured into the path of sin, not because they want to be lost, but because they want to be happy. What a tragedy, then, for me to come along and say, these people choose to be lost. Far from it. They choose to be happy when they do take that route and begin to sin the devil comes in with his accusings and the devil says there's no hope for you you are a hypocrite there's no hope whatsoever give up and they they don't hear the christians say there is hope you can make it by the grace of god all they hear mainly is the voice of satan say no hope no hope no hope oh that christians could come claiming the promise of the holy spirit and saying to them there's hope Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. One of the most outstanding statements from my favorite author, and it's in one of the most unlikely books you'd ever expect to find such a statement. It's in a book in my library that, to be perfectly frank, I've read very little from. It's entitled Medical Ministry. You wouldn't expect to find something on the ABCs of prayer in a book entitled Medical Ministry. You'd expect that would be dealing with the, with the physical being of man and all of that. And on page 244, someone pointed out to me the statement. It said that even for people who appear to be completely frivolous, who appear to have no desire whatsoever to do right, no interest in, in Christianity whatsoever, it says that we can come to the Lord, and this is what it says. We can say to our Lord, You have said, ask and you will receive. And then this is a quote. Listen to this. Dear Lord, I must have this soul converted to you. Isn't that beautiful? So the Lord is not pressuring. The Lord is not forcing this person's will. The Lord knows that this person was merely discouraged, first seeking happiness, then learning that they took the wrong route, The devil accuses them and tells them there's no hope. And then, unfortunately, too many of us Christians enter the picture, and we start lecturing them. They don't want to be hypocrites. They long for happiness. Oh, how uh, important it is for you and me to know the part of the Holy Spirit, right? Then I found this statement, and for years I've been studying this statement concerning the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 8. In our King James Version, it says, when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And the more I have studied through the years into the working of the Holy Spirit and his beautiful way of winning, I thought, well, there's a much deeper concept to that than most people understand. So I've looked into various versions. You may want to when you return home. And the real meaning of what Jesus was saying is something like this when the Holy Spirit comes he will convince convince the world of sin he will demonstrate to them that sin is sin then he'll demonstrate to them that they can live the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit he will demonstrate to them that they can stand before the judge of all the universe at the last great day clothed in the righteous garments of jesus christ though their sins were scarlet they were made as white as snow that's why i love the holy spirit that is his work so with that we place zechariah 4:6. not by might meaning human might not by human might not by human power but by my spirit saith the lord of hosts when we understand the beautiful working of the holy spirit that he not merely convinces of sin but he is out there revealing to the poor sinner so discouraged you can make it by the power of Jesus it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure if the Sun shall make you free you shall be free indeed I will free your will to whatever extent it is captive to the devil I will give you the power to rise above the past and all the accusings of the devil. And then we will say, Oh, I don't have to do the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm to do the work committed to me. I'm to be a witness to Jesus Christ. For in John 15, 26 it says, When he is come, he will testify of Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit is in your life and mine, instead of our testifying to the meanness of the sinner, instead of our telling him about all the terrible things that are going to happen to him without reflecting the beauty of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the winsomeness of Jesus. So the sinner says, oh, I could have been happier had I remained a Christian. I would like that happiness again. And the devil is saying, but you can't make it. We're to talk more loudly than the devil, believe it. Beloved, what do you say? Amen. More loudly than the devil. Groups of us should be praying together and then visiting these individuals who are having a rough time and, say, and saying to them, Jesus forgives the man whose sins are scarlet. He makes them white as snow. You don't have to live over the past at all. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. It is the devil that keeps pointing you across the line where you've confessed your sins. It is the devil that digs up the past sins and presents them to you. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, Cease to dwell on things gone by. Don't do it. Don't dig up the past. And don't listen to the devil who is the digger up of the past. Let me give you a concrete illustration. And my friends, one or two of these illustrations that we're going to share this morning could be repeated again and again and again. So you see, before I share this with you, you can see, friends, that Jesus wants us to have a completely new concept of that soul that maybe is absenting himself from church. A complete new concept of the boy who is on drugs. He's not on drugs to be cussed. He is actually searching for happiness. And if we could get this concept through the power of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) we would see that these so-called backsliders are actually reaching out hoping to find peace hoping to find happiness hoping to find some kind of assurance in life so it is with a drunkard so it is with a man who has run off with another man's wife he's taken captive by the devil at the devil's will but oh how he still longs for a better life if we can gain this concept then we'll approach him from a completely different angle let me tell you the story of carolyn My wife and I were conducting a series of meetings in a city in New York State. And Carolyn and her mother were studying. She was, Carolyn was just a teenager, perhaps maybe 15. Carolyn was so interested and so humble and so contrite that she would ask us questions about the Lord Jesus and the doctrines of the Bible sometimes till 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. A very sincere soul. It was my privilege to baptize Carolyn and her mother and her father into the Lord Jesus Christ and to welcome, welcome them into the fellowship of the church. And then we passed down to another city, and then another, and another. A few years later, we were called to conduct a series of meetings in a college, a Christian college where Carolyn was a student. Since we hadn't seen her for several years, naturally we could hardly wait for the privilege of seeing her again, the college gave us a room in which we could counsel. Students would come in the room. They made their appointment with us. They'd come in, sit across the table, and we'd counsel together. And in came Carolyn, early, early in the series. And she told us how very happy she was to see us. So happy. And then... She dropped this little word. She said, Pastor, I just want to be fair with you. She said, I'm no longer a Christian. I've made up my mind and while I love you and Mrs. Kuhn very much, I have changed my mind and I've decided not to be a Christian anymore and you'll understand. Well, Carolyn was to us almost like a daughter. You know, When you lead someone to Jesus Christ, you lead them through the love of Jesus. And there's a love that you can't describe. And I looked at Carolyn in love, and I said, but Carolyn, you're going to give your heart to Jesus again. Now, a caution. Don't ever give a soul a deadline or give God a deadline. But I did. I think I've only done it five times In 50 years so you can see it's very very rare once in 10 years and when I have I've sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit impressing me you can't sense his presence you can't expect him to guide unless we believe in him unless we pray for him it says he will guide you and he guided me into a conversation something like this Carolyn you are going to give your heart to the Lord you just got discouraged, Carolyn." And Carolyn, and she said, Pastor, no, no, uh, no. I love you and Mrs. Kuhn, but it's final. I said, Carolyn, you're not merely going to give your heart to the Lord. You're going to give your heart to the Lord this week, and I'm going to claim a promise. Now, notice what I said. I wasn't belittling her in any way, shape, or manner. I was just an instrument of the Holy Spirit, loving her from the depths of my heart. I said, I'm going to claim the promise. I think the promise I suggested was 1 John 5.16. Carolyn, I'm going to claim a promise. I'm going to ask God to give you a whole new experience. I'm going to believe that He's doing it. And right now I'm thanking him, Carolyn. He's going to do it. And then she shook her head almost defiantly. No, no, Pastor, I am not. No, now listen, I, I, want to make, I want to make it very clear. I love you and your wife, but Pastor, it's final. Carolyn, will you promise me just one thing? Will you at least attend the meetings? Oh, yes, I'll attend every meeting. I said, fine, thank you so much. But Carolyn, I want to tell you I have something this week from the Lord The Holy Spirit's going to do his work. You're going to have a fresh experience in the Lord. You're going to rejoice in the Lord. And there, Carolyn was looking across that table. She didn't want to offend me, but it seemed like our fellowship was almost at an end. And every time she said, no, it's not going to take place, I smiled broadly, and I said, Carolyn, it's going to take place. You're going to find a beautiful experience in Jesus. Well, we began our meetings. Every night, as I made a call, and Carolyn knew that the call was, was starting, she slipped out. She'd kept her word. She had attended the meeting. But you know, I've thought many times, if a sinner would be as eager to stay away from temptation as he is to stay away from the call of the Lord how many more victorious people there would be. Night after night, Thursday night, I think I spoke 13 minutes to that college group and I extended a call. I said, "Just we're going to sing just two stanzas. And I said, but if there are those here who've wandered from the Lord and you want to return, the Holy Spirit is wooing you. God is saying that he'll forget all the past and you want to make a new start, you may come. We're not going to drag the call out. As we started singing that closing song with two stanzas, these young people began to come. It was a very specific call. And we sang the second stanza. The aisle was full of them. I turned to the president of the college, a friend of mine, and I said, "Uh, they're still coming. He said, keep on singing. For 40 minutes, young people came up that aisle the front was packed the aisles were packed the holy spirit had taken over but you know what happened carolyn slipped out she slipped out at the very beginning of the call friday morning in chapel i turned to the president i said "Uh, it seems like every student here has given him or her heart his or her heart to the lord shall i still extend a call he said i think you better i extended a call in chapel that morning And a new group came forward. They were mostly G.I. veterans. They came up without a tear. Only one veteran's face had a big tear. One big tear. Otherwise, his face was was like marble. You could see what was happening in the heart. Carolyn slipped out. Friday night, we had our meeting again. She was there. When the call was made, she slipped out. Saturday morning, we closed our meeting. Sabbath morning, 11 o'clock. Carolyn said in her heart, this is too much. I can't take it anymore. So I'm going to break my word with Pastor Kuhn. I'm not going to the 11 o'clock service. So when Sabbath school was ended, she rushed over to her dormitory room. But she said to herself, now I am going to, the minute he closes, because this is their closing meeting, I am going to be back at 12 o'clock. Because she knew that we closed promptly. I'm coming back at 12 o'clock, the, the heat will be off then. I will shake hands with them, tell them so. I was so happy to see them. So she came back about 12 o'clock. And you know something was happening? At that service, the community people had come in, hundreds upon hundreds of community people. As we extended the call that morning, the community people were coming to the altar, and we went way beyond 12 when she came over and saw them coming to the altar in rededication, and recommitment, she felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. She started up the aisle. And you know, bless her heart, some dear old saintly woman turned to her and said, I'm glad you're doing it now. And it discouraged Carolyn, and she walked right out, went right back to her dormitory room. And she said... I'll never never do it she came back again though she thought the meeting by now would be over but as the Lord would have it you know the Lord goes out of his way for that lost soul he left 99 in the wilderness and he went down in at home and went in the wilderness to seek the one so it was extended 20 minutes she came back and as I was invited I didn't have to urge I didn't urge anybody But as I was standing there, and the music was inviting people, the Holy Spirit was inviting, Carolyn was standing there, and I saw her looking at me. You know what I was doing? I was asking God for her conversion. I was telling God, I believe you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I was saying, Lord, thank you. I was looking at her. Of course, being so far away, she didn't know. Thank you, Lord. Your Holy Spirit is doing his work. Thank you, Lord. She's going to find you this morning. Thank you, Lord, she's accepting you. Carolyn started down the aisle. And as she started, I have never seen a soul before in my life or since come down the aisle amid those people. I, I I kept watching her. She came down the aisle as though a rope had been around her and as though I were reeling her in, just like you'd reel in a fish. And she looked at me as though she were hating me. And all the while I was say in my heart, thank you, Lord. You're fulfilling your word. It's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Thank you, Lord. She came right up here, right among the crowd, right there. And she stared. She glared into my face. I said, now, folk, we're going to bring our service to a close this morning. And I said, there are doubtless individuals who come to the altar who really have not yet received repentance. Acts five thirty one says, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance. So I'm now going to pray and I'm going to ask God to give repentance to any soul who has come. And I'm going to tell God that I trust him to give this repentance. Then I'm going to reach up and say, thank you, Lord, you have given repentance. So I prayed the prayer, the benediction was offered, had the little after service. My wife and I went, ate the dinner, went back to our guest room. There was a tap at the door. As I opened the door, there was Carolyn. Her face was beaming. She said, Pastor and Mrs. Kuhn, I want to give you a a testimony. She said, this week, this week has been hell to me. She said, I came forward, I don't know what drew me, and I almost hated you. Until you prayed, and as you asked God to give repentance, he gave me repentance, he gave me a new lease on life, he forgave me, it's heaven in my soul. Friends, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Oh, friends, there may be someone here in this audience or back home viewing this that is crying out, Oh, God, I want to find my way back. My friends, God will will honor that prayer. The Holy Spirit will come into your life, and then you'll go out, not by might or by power, not by human bickering or picking, but by his power and win others to Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Our beautiful Father in heaven and Holy Spirit of the living God, I want to thank you for thy Holy Spirit. Just now their hearts longing to make a new commitment without a doubt, here or in their home. Lord, as they reach up, thank you for hearing and answering and giving them the new life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.